Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Here's what's taking place, and it's so important that we see this. He is holding them responsible for their response. It's not that he's saying, well, this is all happening because Isaiah prophesied it. No, Isaiah prophesied something that God was telling Isaiah was going to happen to him. That he was going to go out saying, thus saith the Lord, and the people were going to say, we don't think so. Today we begin a new message from Pastor Sam entitled, The Seed and the Soils. In the first 23 verses of Matthew chapter 13, Jesus shares what we have come to know as the parable of the sower, and it's all about the way the gospel message is received. Not only how we receive it, but also what to expect from others when we share it ourselves. Matthew chapter 13, the title of our message, The Seed and the Soils. A pastor was giving a children's message during church. It was one of those churches where they would bring the children in and seat them down front and the pastor would do a little devotional message or lesson for them. And on this particular Sunday, he was using squirrels as an illustration of industry and preparation. He started out by saying, I'm going to describe something and I want you to raise your hand when you know what it is. The children nodded eagerly. Well, this thing lives in trees, he pauses, and eats nuts, pauses again. No hands went up. Well, it's gray and has a long, bushy tail. Another pause, still no hands. The children were looking at each other, and then he says, well, it jumps from branch to branch. It chatters and flips its tail when it's excited. Well, finally, one little boy tentatively raises his hand, and the pastor breathed a sigh of relief. He said, well, the boy said, I know the answer must be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. (laughs) There's actually a point to that little illustration, and, and that is this. Jesus' generation saw him working mightily in their midst, heard the wonderful, profound, radical teaching So profound was his teaching that when they come to arrest him later, the arresting officers come back without him. And when they say, where's the prisoner? They say, man, you should hear this guy teach. No one ever spoke like this. Jesus was doing all the prophecies said Messiah would. But the religious establishment had made up their minds that he was not the Messiah, that he was an imposter, that he was working his miracles by the power of Satan. And so Jesus, at this point, changes the manner in which he's been communicating. Now, up to this point, it's been straightforward. Same kind of ministry as John the Baptist. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But we enter into a section here in Matthew 13 where he begins to speak in parables. And if you're unfamiliar with parables, you need to know that a parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's a, an earthly story with a spiritual meaning or application. And it really becomes Jesus' style, if you will. He takes the familiar in order to explain the unfamiliar, those things which are easily seen and understood, to explain those things not seen and mostly misunderstood. He wanted to talk to them about spiritual realities. And many weren't getting it. Some intentionally were shutting their eyes and closing their ears. Well, he begins to deal with that issue in a moment. Now, at least four questions that 
come to mind if you're a, a real witness for Jesus. And by that, what I mean is somebody who has a passion to get out and share your faith. If you get out there, the first question that's going to come to you after a season of sharing the Lord is, why are there so many dense people? How is it that people are so oblivious, so out of it, who are otherwise intelligent? You see them, they can communicate on any subject, you begin to talk about spiritual things, and it just goes over their head. Why are so many oblivious and out of it when it comes to things of the Spirit, to spiritual things? Secondly, why is it so many begin well and then just fall away? You see them, they're excited, they're sharing, they're pumped up for the Lord, and then all of a sudden they're back in their old life. Well, we're going to find the reason for that, the answer to that question in our passage this morning. Third question, why are there so many hearers of God's word that fail to really produce any fruit? I mean, they, they study and, and they listen and it appears they're learning, but there's no outward evidence that anything's changing. The lifestyle is the same. The attitudes are the same. The habits are the same. It's like Jesus says a new creature, but no one sees a new creature. And then finally, why is it that some believers are so much more fruitful in their walk with the Lord and representation of the Lord than others? Well, Jesus is going to tell us, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It begins here in Matthew 13, most commonly called the parable of the sower. We'll see that the emphasis, though, is on the seed and the soil. So we've entitled this message, The Seed and the soils. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some seed fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground, yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, here as we look at this parable, and it introduces a series of parables to us, this first sort of lays a foundation, builds a foundation that will help us understand the rest. We see this parable again is an earthly story. In their context, very simple to relate to. In fact, it's quite possible that as Jesus was there in that boat, and he sat, the people standing on the shore, that would just give him a little bit of space so he wouldn't be so crowded in, uh, an opportunity to project over the little bit of water that would have been separated him, separating him from them. But also it's possible that in the background, someone was out just scattering their seed, and that's the way they planted in those days. They didn't have big John Deers or anything, so they went out, they scattered the seed, they plowed that stuff with their uh, animals and by hand, and uh, gradually, some of the seed would find its way into good soil, and, and some of that seed would produce. Lots of the seed, though, as this parable suggests, well, it would be lost for various reasons. Now, if you don't know anything about agriculture, you can actually learn from this parable. It would help you if you're trying to plant and, and harvest. 
But since most of us grew up around here, or at least get to know something about agriculture, living in a state like California where there's so much of it, we want to jump to the spiritual emphasis. Now, the disciples come to him in verse 10, and they ask a question. Jesus himself will give us an explanation and an exposition of his parable after he answers this question. It's important to note that we don't have to wonder or figure out or try to make sense of where he's going with all this. He will tell us himself. But they come and they say, why, verse 10, do you speak to them in parables? Now, he answers that question, but he, as he often does, gives them more than they're asking for. He says to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. It's the first of three answers to a very straightforward question. Why have you changed how you're speaking, Lord? Why now parables? Well, parables, as we will see, both reveal and conceal. And really, he says, for you, it's well. you've been called to, to understand, to, to make sense of, to know the things of the kingdom. But to them, well, it's not going to be that way. Now, here's the difference and here's the distinction. It's important. The mysteries of the kingdom were given to those who were seeking after the king. It was a revelation to them. And truly, a parable is, is a revelation through an illustration. But to those who were already judging Jesus, who had already rejected him in his person, his claims to be from the Father, his claims to be working by the power of the Spirit, his claims to have come down from heaven to do the will of the Father, to those, he says, well, this is going to actually conceal. Now, the same thing could be said for any in our day. Those who've already made up their mind about Jesus, who aren't interested in Jesus at all, they would hear a parable like this and say, well, he's, it's just a storyteller. He's just a storyteller. Or, well, this is really, he's just another babbler. But, but really what he's doing is he's saying, hey, these parables will reveal to those seeking and it will conceal from those who are mere mockers or just hanger, hangers on. So verse 12, he goes on to say, giving yet a second reason, whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. It's a principle we're already familiar with. It's use it or lose it. It's true in every area of life. Those of you guys who worked out a lot in your high school or college days and you stopped working out, you may look in the mirror and wonder, hey, where'd those muscles go? Well, it's use it or lose it. The same is true of our minds. You know, they found people that are in convalescent homes, the elderly, who really started to act like maybe they're, they're losing it mentally. When someone goes in and just has conversation with them and plays checkers and reads to them and talks to them, that, that they begin to snap out of it and many of them sharpen up. Why? Because their mind is built the same way. It's a use it or lose it situation. And that's what he's saying here. He's, he's saying, listen, if you have you're going to be gaining more. But if you don't, even what you think you have will be lost to you. Such would be the case of the religious leaders. See, they had all sorts of knowledge that was meant to point them to the person of Jesus. But it wasn't happening. Instead of looking at the evidence and then looking at Jesus and saying, it's undeniable. He must be the Lord. 
No, they were rejecting that evidence. So what they had, they then lost. The disciples, on the other hand, well, they weren't necessarily scholars, some fishermen, a tax collector, various backgrounds among them, but they had caught on and, and connected with the Lord. And he was teaching them and discipling them and transforming them. And so he says, hey, the one who has, you're going to have more. And the one who doesn't, well, even what he thinks he has or what he has had will be taken away. Then in verse 13, he gives his third reason. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive for the heart of this people has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing their eyes. They have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their heart and turn so that I should heal them. Here's what's taking place, and it's so important that we see this. He is holding them responsible for their response. It's not that he's saying, well, this is all happening because Isaiah prophesied it. No, Isaiah prophesied something that God was telling Isaiah was going to happen to him, that he was going to go out saying, thus saith the Lord, and the people were going to say, we don't think so. Well, that is, in fact, what happened to Isaiah. Now it's happening to Jesus. It happened to John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. Some heard him and repented. Others heard him and rejected. But what he's saying is this is a fulfillment of prophecy. The father said it would happen. Isaiah preached it. And now you see it happening before your very eyes. Now, he tells them they were responsible. Of course, that makes us responsible. You got to know, though the prophet had said, hearing you'll hear and not understand, seeing you'll see and not perceive, there's no way we can read into that 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 was the will of God. It's not God's will, we're told, any parish, but all come to repentance. So it's not that God was blinding them or God was making it difficult for them to hear. In fact, it's all cleared up there in the Verse 15, sort of the key to this part of all of this. For the heart of this people, we read, has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. That's why he holds them responsible and holds them accountable. It's because they had made a decision to stop listening to the Lord, to harden their hearts toward the Lord, to, to stop looking at the evidence or when they examined the evidence, well, the conclusions they came to were ludicrous. So he says, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their heart and turn so that I should heal them. But in contrast to that, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He's saying in contrast to those who shut their eyes, who stopped up their ears, who hardened their hearts, his disciples were blessed. Why? They were just open. They were sponges for the truth of God's word, for the work of God's son. They wanted to hear and learn and grow. They wanted to be transformed. They wanted to be used. They wanted to be like him. Well, Jesus now gives us 
his exposition of this first parable. Therefore, hear the parable, he says, of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. This first verse, verse 19 of Jesus' explanation and exposition, tells us a couple things that will carry through this study, and they're, they're fundamental. We've got to make sure we get them. The seed, he tells us, is the word of God. Specifically in this context, the seed is the preaching of the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus had earlier said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And for those who did, well, they were following him. For those who refused, they, well, they weren't following him. Now he takes another track, another tact. He says, I'm going to speak in parables, and if you have an interest, it'll draw you in. If you're not interested, well, you'll just continue where you are, shut out. And so he says, the seed is God's word. It's important to us today because if you're an unbeliever, the good news that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, that he offers you forgiveness and pardon of sin, that can transform your life. Not just temporally, not just immediately, though those are both true, but eternally. But it's more than that because the vast majority of us gathered together are Christians. We need to know Every time we open the word of God, whether we're doing it in our own devotions, we're listening to a Christian uh, message on a radio station or on a tape or a CD, whether we're doing a Bible study like this, every time the word of God is being presented, it is testing our hearts. And the word is always good. It's always good seed. The variable will always be the heart of man. So he tells us the seed is God's word. The soil is man's heart. And he describes four different types of soil. He describes four different conditions of the heart. And ultimately, the condition of the heart determined that day, as it will this day, what happens to the good seed of God's word. Well, the first heart he presents then is the wayward heart. It's the heart that's out of the way, as it were, out of it, just oblivious to the obvious. Now, Jesus' miracles made it clear, had to be who he claimed to be. His teaching likewise, and those who refuse the obvious, well, he's saying this is why there's a problem in the heart. He says in this first situation, and understand it's just one of four, what happens when someone hears the word of the kingdom, and we'll find in all three, actually all four cases, this person hears. We're not dealing with somebody who has never heard or is outside of a place to hear. No, this is a hearer of the word of God, the word of the kingdom, who does not understand it. He says what happens is the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one that had a seed or received seed by the wayside. The wicked one, Satan or the devil, or his demons, those who followed after him. He describes and pictures them as snatching away the good seed of God's word. Now, I jotted just five ways that came to mind immediately being in this position and dealing with so many people week to week and month to month and year after year and now decade after decade. I watch the enemy rip Christians off. And I watch them rip unbelievers off as well. 
And if we can get a handle on what he's doing, well, we can make sure he doesn't do it to us. The Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices. We know how he works. And and one of the ways that I see the enemy rip us off is he rips us off through distractions. Now, distractions, disruptions, they are common whenever you open the word of God. Those of you who have an early morning personal devotion time, and I'd encourage you, if you don't know what that's about, you need to find out. If you don't get up first thing in the morning and open the Word of God, I mean, if you got to have the coffee first, fine. You want to be alert enough to read. But get your Bible out before the paper, before the news, before the kids, before anyone, and get into the Word. But here's what I've noticed. In my attempts to do so over these many years of walking with the Lord, so many distractions come to mind. Some of them are outside and some of them are inside. In fact, I know even as we meet, and I don't want you to raise your hands because it would depress me, I know that many of you from time to time in these services, you'll kind of just space out and get distracted and then you kind of come back and you're like, oh wow, he's way down there, you know? (laughs) No, here's the thing. I don't want you to be paranoid like, wow, Satan got a hold of me, you know. No, it's not like that. But it's this simple. A distraction can take you away from something God is trying to speak into your life and speak into your heart. A seed of his word that if it takes root is going to produce fruit, is going to glorify the Lord and make a difference in the lives of people around you. And so if the enemy can distract you, he will. And it happens a lot of ways. And and so we do all we can to minimize those distractions. We ask you to make sure your pagers or cell phones are off. If you got to get up for any reason during the service, please sit in the back upon your return. And if the back's full, move over to the overflow. Why? Because you can't help if you have an emergency and you got to get up. But that is a distraction. And then when you return, well, it's yet another distraction. And you need to know the enemy uses that. We allow people with their little children, especially newborn because who wants to leave their newborns even with people they know and trust? I mean, that's your baby. You want to keep them. So we allow them to sit in the back. But inevitably, and this is you know nothing against those with newborns because we've been there. We could get right to the crux of the gospel and right to that point where people are deciding for Christ and, and a baby that's been quiet through the whole service all of a sudden goes crazy. And, and, and I'm thinking there's nothing wrong with that child. That, that truly there is an attack when the word of God is going forth. And we know it because Jesus says so. Now, lest we get paranoid, and, and I'll still deal with the four other ways, I think. And, and you should be able to add to these lists. If you're a note taker, something I highly recommend, because we have Bible studies, not sermons. If you take notes and you were to jot the five things that I give you that I see happen, you could easily figure out five more. You could sit down and say, Lord... What happens to me? What's keeping me from being more fruitful, more productive for you and in your kingdom? But distractions are one of them. Lest anyone, in case something happens and you have an emergency and you have to leave, I don't want you leaving thinking, yeah, it's the devil, the devil, the devil. Because, listen, you've got an enemy much scarier than the devil. And you see him every single morning in the mirror. First thing, you get up, you turn on the light, you look, and it's like, oh my gosh, there he is, the enemy. You see, even if there was no devil, our human fleshly nature is such that it will always be at war with the spirit. The Bible describes this battle this way. The flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary. The picture he wants us to get is that each tries to dominate the life that 
Well, our life, my flesh wants to dominate as it once did. And now the Spirit of God living within me says, no way. The flesh already had its day. Now it's the Spirit's day. Now the Spirit is going to dominate in your life. But there is a war within. And then the enemy, aware of that, comes on and, and tests us and looks at us and sees us and studies us. And he tries to find ways to distract and disrupt us. Verses like 1 Corinthians 15:57 tell us of the victory that we have in Christ. And yet while that war is won, we still can lose some of the battles. Why is that? Well, think of it this way. When the battle between our flesh and spirit rages on, sometimes we simply raise the white flag and say, the flesh is just too strong. Take heart and remember that God will complete the work he began in you and victory will belong to you. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you, and until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.